Welcome to the TCU Chi Alpha podcast, where we share sermons, interviews, and other resources that encourage and challenge students as they follow Jesus on campus. Before I get started, Caleb, would you help me with something? You guys give it up for Caleb. Killer, killer drummer and cajon player. Um, Caleb's going to help me with a little illustration. So, Caleb, I want you to think of a four-letter word. You got a four-letter word? Okay, not that kind of four-letter word, because you're going to write it down and show everybody. Think of one that's not, okay, you got a clean, nice four-letter word? Okay, so what I'm going to get you to do is you take this pen. He's right-handed. This is going to work well. Okay, so Caleb's going to write the word really big so we can all read it, but I'm going to actually write it with him, okay? So you ready? So let's do it together, all right? Okay, this is looking good. All right. No. I was struggling a little bit here. What's wrong, what's wrong Caleb? <laughs> yes, no. What are you doing? Are you okay? Yeah. Is, what is this like for you? Uh, it's yeah, it's a little frustrating. Yeah. Do you want me to stop? Really? Okay, I'll let you finish your word. All right. He did pretty good. You guys will be able to read this. Give it up for Caleb. He wrote drum. <laughs> Yeah. This first part's a little messy, though. Was it a little frustrating, writing with my help, us working on together? (laughs) Um, If any of you were wondering what that's all about, we'll come back to it, all right? So you just have to sit there and think about what that was all about. So we're in a season where lots of people are looking for a fresh start. Like we're writing the story of our lives and it's possibly a little frustrating, difficult, like Caleb experienced trying to write the word drum. Um, we're looking forward to this season with a new kind of blank page in front of us. And we're writing something new in the area maybe of exercise or academics or finances or faith. Um, I can't help you with gains in the gym. You'll have to talk to Darren for that. I can't help you with uh, your Cal 2 homework. Maybe you could talk to Zoe. She's grimacing. Maybe someone else can help you with Cal 2. You can help with Cal 2. No? Okay. Um, I can't help you with those things, but I can uh, talk to you about finding a fresh start in your walk with Jesus writing a new story in your walk with Jesus. What, would it, might, what it might look like to, to begin a new page with this year in front of us in this, this semester, writing a different story. And so to explore this idea, we're going to jump into John 6. It's one of the wildest passages in the Bible where we see some really legitimate plot twists um, that nobody would have expected Jesus to do. And uh, we see some people that are hoping to write a new story in their faith. They're trying to write a new story in their life, but they end up frustrated and they end up walking away. And so the whole chapter is worth reading. It's 70 verses. I encourage you to go back to your dorm and read it. I'm not going to read all of it tonight uh, because I'm not nearly as uh, entertaining or engaging as the narrator on your Bible app, Um, but I'm going to hit the highlights and point out a few things along the way. You guys with me? John chapter 6. So in this chapter, Jesus is in Galilee, and he's preaching, and he's delivering people from demonic oppression, and he's healing the sick. You know, just a normal Wednesday for Jesus. He's just doing the Jesus-y things, right? And you can can imagine uh, he begins to draw a crowd, right? And that's what verse 2 says, and a large crowd was following him because, he saw, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. The sick. Um, and so they're following him for what he can do for them. And this particular crowd is on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they're hanging out and listening to Jesus' teaching, and he knows they're hungry. And you guys have heard, probably heard this story right before, but he feeds over 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish from a boy who offered his lunch. 
That's pretty sweet, right? Crazy miracle. And the people respond as you might expect. Um, verse 14 says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. First plot twist. <laughs> These people are on their way to Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, the capital city, the center of religious uh, activity in Israel, and they have always heard about a Messiah. They've always heard about a king, a deliverer, this, this person that God was going to raise up to deliver and rule his people, and they think, this is our guy. This is the guy. This is the one we've been waiting for, and they express that. But what does Jesus do? He does the opposite of what we would think that he would do, right? He didn't launch his YouTube channel. He didn't call a publicist. He didn't do any of that stuff. He gets away from them because they want to make him king. Here's the weird thing about it. We know Jesus is the king. He actually is the person they were waiting for, the one that they were looking for. He is the Messiah that they think he is, but he doesn't let this huge crowd take him into Jerusalem on their way and crown him king. Why? Because a true king is not king on other people's terms. A true king is a king on his own terms. A true king is not king on other people's terms. A true king is king on his own terms. They wanted him to be king on their terms, not his. How? Well, we'll see that in the rest of the chapter, right? Jesus leaves. He disappears. Everybody realizes, where did Jesus go? What's going on? He went across the lake. They jump in a boat, and they go looking for him. When they found him, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, originally the crowd followed him because of his signs, the things that he was doing. And, and now Jesus is saying, you're just here for more food. <laughs> They're now following him, not because of what he could do, but because of what he could give them. Verse 30 says, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. <laughs> right? So they're saying, Hey, this manna used to come down uh, to the people of, of Israel before they went into the promised land in the wilderness. Give us some of that stuff, right? And Jesus says, he, he responds in the, the following verses, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you won't hunger. If you come to me, you won't thirst because I have come down from heaven. I'm the one that came from heaven. And this is the crowd's response, verse 41. <clears throat> so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? We saw what you could do, Jesus. We saw that you could take this little kid's lunch. It was a really cool trick. You turned it into food for over 5,000 people, but, but that wasn't enough. Now we want you to give us food out of nothing. We want you to bring it down from heaven. Show us an even better sign, like the manna that our ancestors had. Now prove, do that now. Prove yourself to us. And Jesus is trying to tell them, I'm right here. I'm the fullness of God in front of you. You don't need manna, you have me. <laughs> but that's not enough for you, and you're complaining about the fact that I won't give it to you. 
And they go, right, this is like, hey, like, yeah, right, man, we know where you're from. You're not from heaven. Like, we know your family. We can hear that Galilean accent in your voice. Like, how do you expect us to believe in you? But since they brought up manna from heaven, Jesus just takes it up a notch, okay? Jesus goes on to say, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And to be honest with you, that sounds pretty scary. Sounds kind of creepy, right? And in verse 60, it says this, when many of his disciples, now listen to this, this is verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, these are people that were following him. These are not just the crowd, but it's disciples. They said, this is a hard saying. <laughs> Who can listen to it? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Oh, no. <laughs> Jesus just destroyed his brand. <laughs> like, these disciples would love what he would say when he was condemning the religious leaders or talking about love or whatever it was that they liked, but now he was saying things they didn't quite like, right? And many of them just bail on him, and this is not what was supposed to happen. This is a PR nightmare for Jesus, right? And uh, why did many of these disciples leave? Why did all these people walk away? Because the crowd, these disciples followed Jesus for what they wanted Jesus to do for them, right? What sign do you do? that we may see and believe you, verse 30. What they wanted Jesus to give them, give us this bread always, right? Or what they wanted Jesus to say to them, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? The crowd followed Jesus because of what they wanted him to do for them, to give them, to say to them. And when Jesus didn't do what they wanted, they left. They left. Do you need a fresh start in your faith today? Have you found it frustrating or difficult to follow Jesus? This is a question that we need to wrestle down. Is it possible that it's not Jesus himself that is frustrating, but our desire for him to be king on our terms that is making it frustrating? Are we following Jesus for what we like that he can do, like that he can give, or like that he can say? Do we say things like, Jesus, I know I don't spend time with you at all every week I, I, or prioritize my faith, but if you'll just help me get that GPA that I'm aiming for this semester, I promise I'll spend time with you next semester. I promise. If you'll just give me that. Do we say stuff like, I know I don't ever tell you, I don't ever tell other people about you, Jesus, like you asked me to, but if you'll just give me that internship, I'll be sure to tell everyone that you're the one who opened the door, right? Like, do we, do we think that? Do we engage with God like that? Do we say, Jesus, you can say whatever you want to about money or forgiveness or faith when I sit through a sermon or I read my Bible, but please, Holy Spirit, don't say I should break up with my girlfriend again because I don't want to have to ignore you again, right? Like, do we like what he does and what he gives and what he says when it's something that we're not struggling with, something that's not difficult for with us? Are we okay with him being king as long as it's on our terms, if that's the case, then we are following him for what he can do, give, or say. And that always ends in a frustrating, tiring struggle of faith. Always. I speak from personal experience, by the way, in that. And for most people that, that stay in that place, it means ultimately that they walk away from Jesus. It's too much, just like this crowd. But in this passage, not everyone leaves. There are some that actually stay with Jesus. Verse 67 says this, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus' true followers don't follow him for what he can give, what he can do, or what he can say. Jesus' true followers follow him for who he is. For who he is. Now here's the thing, Peter and the twelve, they, they don't follow Jesus for who they wanted him to be. They followed him because of who he was. That's why Peter says, where else will we go? You're the one with the words of eternal life. We have, have believed and come to know that you are the Messiah. You are the one that we've been waiting for. You're the Son of God. You're the King. You're the Christ. Whether or not we get what we want, we trust you fully. Now, does this mean that Peter and the twelve were always totally happy with what Jesus said, did, or gave? Absolutely not. There's so many examples in the gospel accounts that, that the disciples struggled with Jesus not doing what they wanted him to do or saying what they wanted him to say. Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And, G- and Peter goes, no, 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 you can't say that. Don't say that, Jesus. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> like Peter didn't like what he had to say. He was trying to get him not to. John and James, they show up with their mom. And mom is like, can my two sons sit on your right and left in heaven? And Jesus is like, you guys don't even get this. Like, no, <laughs> like you're going to suffer, right? Like he just kind of rebukes them in that moment. They didn't like that, right? Same, same brothers. Can we call down fire from heaven and kill some people, you know, that had offended them? Jesus is like, no, we cannot do that. I'm not going to let you do that. There were so many occasions where Jesus wasn't king on their terms, but they didn't leave because Jesus' true followers follow him for who he is, not what he does. When you really know him, you keep following because you know that he's the only one who brings life. He's the only one that has the words of eternal life. If you want a fresh start today, if you want to write a new story, you have to begin to know who he really is. Let me, let me paint another picture that might give a deeper example of this. Ladies, let's just say your best friend comes to you and says, I have the guy that you need to marry. You have to meet him. Now, your best friend comes and says, I got the guy. You need to meet him. Anybody want to meet this guy that your best friend, ladies, says, yeah? Some of you are like, nope, don't trust my friend. Okay. <laughs> so let's just say you're like, yeah, okay, I'll like to meet this guy. Let's do it. What if... Um, what if she follows up with, okay, great. You want to meet him? I booked a chapel for next weekend. I've already hired Pastor Andrew. He's good to go. This guy is all in. All you have to do is next weekend just show up and say, I do. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for your wedding. Now, how many of you ladies are like, um, I'm thinking twice about this, right? Let's pump the brakes, girl, right? Like that's what we're doing, right? What if she goes, well, wait, wait, wait. Let me just give you some more details. Don't say no just yet. What, what, what I want you to know is like, this man loves you already. He's in love with you. I told him everything about you. I told him everything good about you. And I also told him everything bad about you. Do you remember that picture that we took down at the beach, you know, on spring, spring break? And it was unflattering of you in a bikini. I, I didn't delete it, but I showed him that, right? He still thinks you're beautiful. He still wants to meet you. He still loves you. You know all the good things that you do? Well, I told him the bad things too. I told him about that time that you didn't tip the barista at Starbucks and you kind of, you know, cussed her out a little bit. I told him about that. that he doesn't bother him. He still loves you. He still wants to go through with it. He loves you. The other thing is he's really, really strong. He's very strong. In fact, 
He's so strong that even if Darren stepped to him, he could snap him in half, right? Like, this dude's strong. He's a protector, right? Okay, you're leaning in maybe a little bit more, but still, this is wedding thing. It's kind of freaky, right? What if, what if I told you he's rich? Like, real rich. Like, he could pay off your TCU student loans rich. That's how rich this man is, and he says he'll do it, right? Okay, well, some of you guys are like, okay, tell me where to be, right? What if she said he's good and he's kind and he's wise? What if he even said he'd be willing to die for you? Like, so, next weekend, huh? Like, how many of you are going to actually go through with this wedding? Still not going to do it, right? Why? Because it doesn't matter how much your best friend loves you and how much she talks up this guy. You don't know who he is. You don't know him. You don't tie your life to someone in marriage based solely on their bank account or their brains or their body type, right? If you do, we'll have a conversation after this. Also, I'll see you in divorce court in a few years. But do, do these things matter? They matter, right? Like, they, they do matter. They're, right? Their brains, it matters, right? Their bank account, it, it matters. It's not like it doesn't matter. But you don't marry someone based on what they can do for you. You marry someone because of who they are. Jesus loves you. He's powerful. He's a provider. He's good and kind and wise. He wasn't just willing to die for you. He actually did die for you. But those, those are true, and they're honest characteristics of Jesus. They're descriptions of him, but they're not who he is fully. If we follow his characteristics and not his character, who he is, we will face disappointment. So who is Jesus? Like, who is he then? How much, how much time do you guys have? Just kidding. We're, we're ra- getting close to wrapping up here. When the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, he shares this, this like first century poem about the nature of Jesus and who Jesus is. It's so beautiful. I wish I could read it. But basically, it describes him as this. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He is supreme over all creation. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell in him. And through Jesus, those who were once far away from God were reconciled to God by Jesus' blood on the cross. Who is Jesus? He's God. He's creator. He's savior. He gets to set the terms of his kingdom, but his terms are always better than ours because he's always smarter than us. He's always better than us. He's always more holy than us. He's Jesus. He's the one that we can trust, the one that we can follow. He's the one that we can give our lives to. He's the only one who can actually bring us to a genuine, lasting, fresh start. He's the only one that can actually help us write a different story on the page that we want to write. So how do we respond to this? How do we write a different story? This is how we do it. We surrender the pen. We surrender the pen. You know how Caleb was up here and he was writing, my hand was on top of his, and I was trying to write something different than he was trying to write, but it was messy and it was frustrating and it was annoying, right? We have to surrender the pen. We have to let God be the hand on top of our hand as we're writing the story of our life and let him guide us and let him write it together with us. The beautiful thing, just like in our situation, is God doesn't ever force us. He allows us the option to choose him or reject him. He allows us the option not to let him write alongside of us. He doesn't, he also doesn't want us to just stop and just sit there with our arms folded and be like, all right, Jesus, do it. 
right? Like he wants to partner together with us as we write this story. He wants to lead and guide us through the process of writing the story of our lives. If, if we're frustrated and tired and making a mess of our life, is it possible that this is why? That we haven't actually invited the Creator, the Savior, to partner with us in writing our lives or us partner with Him? Is it possible that we're working against the King of the universe as we try to write our story? I have a bunch of books in my library, and almost all of them have this little part at the beginning called the endorsements. And uh, I always like reading them because you can tell who endorsed the book and actually read it <laughs> and who didn't. <laughs> and basically, these endorsements are just praise from someone who's already famous or already, you know, known saying, hey, this book is great. You ought to read it, right? And like, you get the book and you read it, and I don't really care what the endorsements say. But how often are we writing the book of our lives and actually just asking God to endorse it? Maybe hoping he doesn't read it too closely. <laughs> I just want you to give this the stamp of approval. I just want you to give me the ticket into heaven, right? I just want you to say, June did it. He had a great life. Sweet. You know, that's it. Just this one sentence. No, God doesn't want to endorse your life. He wants you to help write it. He wants you to, to write it with him. Did you and I sit down and ask God, what would you have me write this semester? Have you sat down and asked the king of the universe, what do you want me to write with my semester, this blank page? Have we ever asked Jesus, how many hours should I take next semester? What club should I join? What major should I be? Or do we just go with what advisors and parents say and hope God will help us through the anxiety? <laughs> Have we ever asked him who we should date? If we should date, what kind of person he would want us to date? Or do we just follow our feelings into a relationship and hope that God will be cool with it? Have we ever asked him what kind of friends that we should spend time with? What kind of media we should consume? Ooh, don't do that. No, you should do that, but it's hard. Um, Pause just a second. So Alicia and I were talking. I've been dealing with some stress and anxiety lately. So we were talking yesterday morning, and we're like, hey, why don't we, you know, abstain from TV for a little while, for like a week, week and a half. I was like, yeah, let's do it. It's going to be good for my mental health. And then last night I realized the Cowboys were playing <laughs> in the playoffs, and I was sitting there like, oh, no. <laughs> I wonder if I could just put this on pause for just a minute and to come to find out, it would have been bad for my mental health to go ahead and watch the rest of that game. So, thank you, Jesus. His plan was good. Okay. Have we asked him what his plan for our future might be? Right? Have we asked him, what story do you want to write with my life? You might say, I'm afraid to ask because I'm afraid of what he might say. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> but when you know him, you know that Jesus is trustworthy. No matter what Jesus does or doesn't do, give or doesn't give, say or doesn't say, he's still way better at writing our lives than we ever will be. He wants what's best for us, and unlike a lot of well-meaning people in our lives, including me, he actually knows what's best for us because he made us. Have we allowed him to be king in our lives on his terms? Or are we writing a story and hoping Jesus will do and give and say the things that we need to write the story on our terms? Is that what we're doing? 
You might be asking, is this even possible to walk through life and let God lead us this way? Like, does he even speak this way? Does he even do that? I believe that he does. I really believe that he does. What do we do? How do we begin to hear his voice? How do we begin to follow his lead? I think the first thing is start doing what he already told us to do. Read his word. The Bible's already shared so much about how we should write our lives. Just begin to do what he's already said to do. Surround yourself with people that are doing what he's asking them to do, right? Be in deep relationship with people that are actually following and attempting to let God write the story of their lives. Work together to do that. That's why we do life groups here. It's a deeper dive into scripture, a deeper dive into community with people that are trying to let Jesus write the story of their life. Actually ask him. I really believe, I really believe that God wants to speak to you about even some of the smallest details of your life. I really believe that. In fact, I don't think most of us are ignoring the Holy Spirit's lead blatantly. I I don't think most of us are just sitting around going like, God, I know what you want me to do, but I will not do it. Maybe Maybe in some things. I just think that for most of us, we just don't even ask. We don't even realize that he's standing there with his hand over the pen saying, if you'll just, if you'll just ask, we can do this together and it'll be so amazing. I believe that Jesus does want to speak to us and lead us in this way. He invites us to it in John 10 where he describes himself as a shepherd whose sheep know his voice and they will not follow a stranger. A shepherd is with the sheep all the time, leading them, guiding them, speaking to them, protecting them. That's the kind of savior, that's the kind of God that we serve He does want to speak to us. He wants us to know his voice. I know a ton of people that live this way. I'm trying to be a person that lived this way. A great example of someone that's a student that lives this way is Mr. June over here. June is so cool. And it's, you know how you ask somebody maybe to do something. Maybe this only happens to preachers. I don't know. But this might happen to you where you say like, hey, will will you help me with this thing? Or will you do this thing? Or will you consider this opportunity? And somebody goes, I'll pray about it. And that's like the instant answer of like, they ain't going to pray about it. They're going to say no. But (laughs) one thing that I know for sure is that when June says, I'll pray about it, he's actually going to pray about it. And he's going to ask God what he should do, no matter what the opportunity is. And then he's going to hear from God and he's just going to do whatever God said. Do you usually hear from God when you pray and ask him things, June? Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. Is it always clear or is it always easy? No. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we don't like the answer. But I always know that June will pray about something if I ask him. In fact, he's leading this prayer group that we do every week. He was like, we should do a prayer group. I was like, yes, you should lead a prayer group, June. He said, I'll go pray about it. (laughs) And I I just knew, like, God's going to, you know, tell him yes. But even if God doesn't, like, I trust that June actually asks God on some of even the smallest things or even the, like, there's been things that I've asked him to do that's just a great opportunity or fun or whatever. It's, it wouldn't even be that hard to not ask. It'd be like, yeah, of course. But he's actually asking, actually seeking God's voice. If we will surrender the pen of our lives and, and God just ask and invite God to help us write our story, the Holy Spirit will even empower us to write the things that we can't write ourselves. This is the coolest part about it is that he doesn't always do what we want. He doesn't always say what we want. Kimber and Colby, just a year ago, their daughter, Naomi, diagnosed with cancer at three months 
old. Devastating diagnosis. Scary as heck. Like the worst possible thing you could think of. Childhood infant cancer. Give her saying, I want to write healing. <laughs> I want to write miracle. I want to write freaking the heck out. I want to write, this is, my life is over. Right? Like, I want to write a lot of things, but God is saying, I want you to write peace. Right? Kimber and Colby are saying, I can't, I can't write peace. Are you serious? And he says, come here, let me help you. Let me put my hand on yours. My Holy Spirit's going to help you write what you can't write. And praise God, she's recovered, the tumor's shrunk, and she's doing great. That was a long process, wasn't it? But all along the way, they're saying, God, I know what I want to write today, but Lord, would you help me write what you, the story that you want to write with my life? I surrender the pen. And God can do that for each and every one of you. I know he's done it for some of you as you've thought about your major, your future, the classes that you're going to take, the things like that. Like, I know he's done that. I just, I just want to encourage you that if you haven't asked him, he wants you to ask. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. If we'll submit and surrender the pen to him, that he will actually help us write the things that he wants to write, the purpose and the destiny and the amazing things. And then he also wants to be there in the times where he doesn't do what we want him to do. And he doesn't say what we want him to say, to write a story that glorifies him. But also in John 10, 10 says that it is a life to the fullest a life more abundantly, a life full of him. And the wild thing is, is that he actually can give and do and say certain things that are good for us because we do them on his terms. I've discovered that in my own life. There are things that I didn't even ask him for that he gave just because I was surrendered to his lordship and not my own. I was letting him write the story. Do you want a fresh start today? Do you want to start the semester off on a different foot in your faith? Do you want to write a new story? If you do, all you got to do tonight is surrender the pen and ask him to help you. Thank you for listening today. We'd love to connect with you beyond this podcast. If you want more information about TCU Chi Alpha, visit TCUXA.com. God bless and go Frogs.